help. Well, welcome to our weekly Wednesday webinar. And we're also going to be converting this into a podcast as we uh, launch our uh, weekly podcast. And we're uh, glad to have Dr. Jim Cardelli. I hope I got that right, doctor, um, who was formerly with the uh, University of Louisiana at Shreveport, if that's correct. And he has since retired after about 30 years there and uh, has become an entrepreneur in the hemp space. With that, Doctor, I'll toss this to you and let you do a little more detailed introduction of yourself. Well, thank you very much for having me uh, on this podcast. I look forward to sharing some information and the future of the, the hemp space. Formerly, I was uh, an academic scientist, uh, did drug discovery, I worked uh, a variety of different uh, areas, molecular oncology, microbial um, genetics, et cetera. Left in 2016 as an entrepreneur, started a couple of biotechnology companies. And recently, our companies for a couple of different uh, strategic connection points got very interested in the, the hemp space. And I'll be happy uh, to share what we are doing uh, and, and why we're doing it and how we hope to connect with a wider audience to, to grow the hemp industry regionally in, in our state of Louisiana. That's great. So I guess to drill down a little bit, what, uh, what basically is your focus in terms of your research and development in the, in the hemp space right now? So uh, we have three different areas um, that are interconnected uh, in the space. I, I guess the first um, area that we got interested in was we had a, a product made from, an, uh, it's a natural product made from extra virgin olive oil. And we found that it was fairly effective as an anti-inflammatory agent, antioxidant agent. We have a skincare product based on that. In my readings, I recognize that products like CBD also had the same properties. So we put together a skincare product that we're launching um, commercially in the next a month or so that we think really will be great for joint pain, anti-inflammation. That was sort of our first blush. Um, the second thing we recognized was uh, last year was not very good for the hemp growers in Louisiana. And after this hurricane, I'm not sure this year will be much better, but uh, we recognize there was a great need for testing. Because as you know, the FDA uh, has, uh, or the DEA has certain regulations, government has regulations on, on hemp not being greater than 0.3% THC. There was no testing facilities other than in Baton Rouge. So we are the first and perhaps the only DEA certified testing lab the cannabinoid level. And we uh, started last year when and it started slow, uh, farmers sent us samples and we tested them. The idea being uh, we were developing a subscription service. So think of it as an insurance plan. So farmers new to this area probably don't know a bud from a flower and they had no idea when to harvest, uh, when they were reaching that magical 0.3% level. So we offered them a service, testing service. And as they got closer, we said, you might consider harvesting soon. So that was the, the, uh, the second point we were involved in. And then the last one, which I may be the most important one, is as I got into reading and thinking about this and having been a professor who taught graduate students and medical students, I recognized that education in this area is extremely important, especially if you wanna bring an industry in and you have no untrained workforce. So 
with uh, Louisiana State University and Dr. Julie Lesseter, who unfortunately can't be on this podcast, we began to look at the possibility of course. The course, uh, it was a, a, an adult certification course. It, it blew out the windows. It's the most popular course they've ever offered at LSUS. So we've given two versions of this course. Uh, the average in attendance, uh, uh, people registered are 80. There's a great demand to do this again. We're gonna expand this, perhaps make uh, breakout courses on this. And I think this all ties in together with, if you really wanna build a hemp industry, you gotta do it at the ground level education all the way to commercialization, uh, plants that are, you know, an industry that will actually extract it and process, et cetera. So we're putting together, and, and there's others that, that you know that we're working with now to try to really connect a, a pathway to, to bring industrial hemp to the, to the state. So those are the three things that got me especially interested in hemp. Okay. That's great. That is absolutely great. I know with the co-op, I know a, a lot of the things that we're doing, uh, in the co-op, as far as field trials, we we have a presence in Louisiana. So it's good to know that there is that beginning of a, uh, I guess, a quality control. I, I say quality control as far as the lab is concerned, because I think that's a critical piece for the grower farmer uh, is, is to have that, not just to monitor the THC percentage uh, to be in compliance with government regulation, but for other purposes as well. I know I'm, I've been in the past focused on uh, the use of organic fertilizers and those sorts of things to, to keep the, uh, you know, and, and pesticides to keep that, uh, those impurities, those toxins, uh, Correct. as low as possible in the hemp plant itself, especially if you're going to have it for food or animal consumption. And that's exactly correct. And so, you know, I, um, you're familiar with Brian Bowler. He's a good friend. And as you know, he's heading up the seed development. And as new um, strains are developed, we're available to help, uh, especially in terms of the oil side, the extraction side. We'll be there to help uh, look at the spectrum of cannabinoids uh, in these different strains, as well as obviously the interest in fiber, et cetera. So yeah, yeah. So pretty excited about this. And, and for those of you out there who think that, you know, and, and, and we've made some money, um, and, but it's really a volume play. For those of you out there who might want to do this, as far as I know, you have to be DEA certified as at this point. It's a long process because the government is extremely slow. It took us four months and multiple visits before we were finally certified. So for those of you interested, you can't just run out and buy Shimatsu HPLC and set up the lab. There's lots of things that go into it uh, on the regulatory side. So I encourage those, uh, of course, I'm asking for competition, but I'm encouraging those who might want to do get into this space to, to look ahead and don't just uh, try to backdoor, because I think now it, it's required that you are DEA certified as a testing. Yeah, that's great. I guess from a farmer rural perspective, uh, how would they, uh, let's assume they're licensed, and we can talk a little bit about how to get licensed specifically in the state of Louisiana. Uh, let's start there. Uh, what, what, from your perspective, is, is the process, the best process to start if you're wanting to enter the space to get, to get talking about testing or, or testing? Well, I'm talking about growing 
as a as a farmer if you want to get certified or licensed in the state of louisiana what what do you need to do at the state level um there's a uh, well you need to if you, there's different tiers as you know you can be a, a grower you can be a processor you can be a transporter you can be involved in seed development each of those require a license and there's a stand up you, you can go to the the la forestry site uh and 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 look it up but there's a set process that's involved it's some paperwork it costs a little money take some time you actually believe it or not in our age of, of zoom you have to go to new orleans officially uh or baton rouge officially to, to get a license so uh there is some paperwork involved but it's not uh, uh ridiculously hard to do i think this year there are 90 plus maybe 100 registered farmers um, and i encourage those interested in growing um really have a plan in place so part of the problem last year for the for the growers i saw is they, you know, the idea that build it and they will come. That's not how it works. You don't put stuff in the ground and then say, I'm going to harvest and find a processor. No, you have to have a, a contract in place in advance. Think of it as if, if you're growing soybeans or corn or whatever you're doing, you already have an idea of a price point, of how are you going to make some money on this? Who are you going to interact with? Same thing with hemp. So it's a, it's a business proposition. So think about it that way. The other thing is, and what we're trying to do with the course, is we have a whole section on growing, and Brian Bowler is involved in that. Um, use this as resources as a state begins to get an idea of what will grow and what won't. Because the issue last year was um, the seeds that were available to plant, many of the seeds were scam seeds. I mean, I think people were growing daffodils. So you really need to do it, like any business endeavor, do some vetting, look into it, check the seed quality. Um, you guys, I mean, the farmers out there know about tilling and planting and growing and watering and all that. So that's pretty straightforward. Um, but I think, think about it. And, and again, the last thing I want to say on that, um, the idea was, and a lot of people got excited because they figured they could make a million dollars per acre by growing hemp, extracting CBD and selling it. Those days are gone. You cannot make that kind of money. And I'm not saying it's lucrative. But, you know, the, the, hey, the gold rush essentially is over. Now, I think the prices for CBD, CBG, et cetera, will stabilize. But right now, do your research. Think carefully about it. Really look at the seed source um, and, and use them. Your, your organization is great. You, um, and there's lots of information out there. So don't just, you know, throw seeds in the ground and hope for the best. Now, that would be my Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, that that was really why we founded the uh, Hemp Growers Cooperative are those uh, stories that you're relaying here about uh, people getting into the market. And I know like here I'm in Kentucky. We saw that early, early on. Yeah, early, early on. Uh, yeah. A lot of bad actors flooded the state. They made these wild promises about, well, how many acres you got? Well, I've just got one acre. <laughs> well, that's enough. You'll make a million dollars. Contract for us and grow hemp and we'll buy it. And most, if not all of them, disappear. Yeah. Farmers went in large, uh, three, four, five hundred or more thousand dollars. 
And uh, at the end of it, they didn't have anybody to sell to. So, yeah, so uh, le le lesson yeah. learned. So, and 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 again, the kudos to what you guys are doing. You bring a sense of stability and reality to the show because right now the CBD market, and I suppose even what you just the story you just described, it's still the wild west in many ways. So you don't go to the wild west with a pea shooter. Uh, so try to avoid that and, and try to hook up with legitimate people who really want to build. This is a, a, a stable crop and a, a stable plant for for multiple uses so again part of the course we have because many people don't know the difference between hemp uh, cannabis marijuana etc part of the course is to educate them on on all these differences so um i i encourage those that and uh, you know i guess there'll be a communication possibility that i'll be happy to respond to so i encourage those who are interested in louisiana or outside of louisiana uh, to attend this course, it's very uh, the price point's very good. It's it's a uh, it's only uh, uh, basically once a week for four or five weeks. It's at night, so I encourage those to to learn about uh, uh, cannabis and and marijuana. And of course, this is a hemp co-op, but as, as you know, shockingly to me, uh, marijuana legal marijuana recreational marijuana almost passed the legislature this year, which was. I mean, I had to like shake my head a couple of times. So um, that space is coming again. I don't want to cross fertilize between the two, but um, the more people know about, uh, and, and again, let me just say one other thing. Uh, right now, the Wild West includes claims about CBD that are just outrageous. Do I think CBD can be effective in many human indications? Yes. Do I think it's a cure-all for everything? No. So right now, there's snake oil salesmen that are trying to make a profit. Not only are they making claims about CBD that the FDA really doesn't like, but they're also selling crappy products. So again, if you're in, if you're a farmer, or you're interested in CBD, there's reputable sites to go to that actually test their products, third-party testing. They have a, a certificate of analysis, and it's verified so you know what you're getting. So, so keep that in mind, too. It's not a cure-all. Be very careful what you buy in the market. Yeah, and be careful of the seed that you buy. I know that was a big issue early on. There was a company come in and they said they had a modified seed that they had derived from marijuana uh, and had created this basically general purpose seed that was just the answer to everything. And uh, obviously, if it comes from marijuana, it wants to be what it is. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so they ran into a lot of, a lot of this and you still run into a lot of it, or you run into bad seed where you don't get a lot of germination. That, that's correct. So, uh, as an example, um, we had a grower seed Brian Bowler, who is a, a friend is, is analyzing different seeds. And there was a seed that was pretty popular. I won't name where it came from pretty popular in the state. And in the class, we had a hands-on demonstration. He planted these seeds individually. And it, what grew out wasn't a single cultivar, uh, high in fiber. It was unbelievable. I mean, there were plants that were sativa-based, cannabis-based. Uh, I mean, it was crazy. So again, if somebody's going to sell you seed, have them demonstrate to you, show you, uh, based on third-party analysis, that it's that it's clean and it gives what it says to give. Now, of course, keep in mind for the growers 
that even if you have something that's genetically pure, and I'm not sure exactly what that means, the environment can play a huge role in this, right? So these plants are very, very adaptable. And uh, plants that are said to be, well, it'll never get above 0.3%. Look at Arizona, where the first year they grew, because that is such a hot climate and so dry, they had to destroy 30 or 50% of their crops because THC sprung up. These are living things that can adapt very quickly. So all of this, you know, has to be considered when when you're going to begin to grow uh, hemp. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Doctor, I think we have a couple of questions here. They may have popped up on your screen. The first is what inherited advantages or disadvantages are there to growing hemp in Louisiana compared to other regions of the country? Um, that's a good question. We're not exactly sure. Um, you know, given the, the hurricane situation here and the inconsistency in weather, I mean, obviously hemp, like cannabis, requires a lot of water, but too much water is not good either. In the last two seasons, we've been inundated with water. I, I, think, um, I think for growers in Louisiana, uh, you know, as, as we begin to develop uh, the infrastructure to bring in. Actually, there is a processing plant, believe it or not, in Homa. Uh, Jeff Keller is part of that. And my first question to him was, you guys still there? Do you still have a plant? Because Homa was hit by Category 4. The plant still survived. Everything is good. Um, so we already have one processing plant in the state, which is good. So if you want to do homegrown hemp, you want to have someone in the state, I think that's good for the state economy. We also have a processing plant we're bringing in on the I-20 corridor in the next couple of months, that processing plant will be focused more on fiber and other derivatives from hemp outside of oils. The one at home is primarily uh, focused on oil. So I think it's a, I think if you um, uh, have a good idea and you grow a good crop, you can sell it uh, in Louisiana to processors. And, and again, this is a brand new space for Louisiana. So it's not like you're competing, it's not like you're living in Colorado and you're going, I wonder if I should grow stuff here. So I, I think the opportunity is great. And I know you guys are helping uh, Louisiana in this process too. So I, I don't, don't shy away from it, just, just do your homework. I'm not suggesting farmers quit growing cotton and, and soybeans and other things, but, but begin to uh, test the um, hemp crops. One thing that the farmers may not know, and you obviously know, is that uh, it's a remediation crop. So if you rotate this crop, it can suck out uh, poisons and pesticides and, and clean up the soil and remediate the soil. Um, and, and so I think a rotating basis for hemp crops with soybean, I think that's something that is going to be in the future. And, and I think once the price point stabilizes, and, and think about this way, that you can make wood products from hemp, as you know. And uh, right now, wood is extremely expensive. There's a great move not to cut down trees because of climate change, et cetera. So if you have a, a product that can be competitive at a price point, you grow hemp. We're talking about hemp plants that can grow 15 feet high. You can process, and you have a processing plant, you can, you can sell it at a pretty good price, I think, not too distant future, uh, as a wood replacement. So there's lots and lots of opportunities in the hemp space. I think any of that space where bamboo is, is, uh, is an input for production. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think I think hemp has a has a an advantage in that same same market. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I fully agree with you. I mean, I think the the opportunities are there. You just have to like with any other business, you just have to plan your work 
and do your research. Uh, right. uh, okay, we got we have another question. Uh, does Creole culture uh, have a rich history in hemp? Uh, that's kind of a question I hadn't really ever thought of either. Uh, that is being revived in Louisiana as the hemp makes a comeback. You know, that's interesting. I don't know much about the history, but the Creole culture is, is clearly botanical in nature. So uh, if you want, if you want to um, argue from that perspective, they could be better growers or, or have better ideas of alternative uses, I would, I would say yes. Um, clearly, this, the, the hemp industry will be applicable across the state of Louisiana. But uh, the Creole culture could, yes, it could very well impact that. I, I just don't, I'm not knowledgeable enough that space to answer that fully. Yeah, I, I, I really hadn't ever really thought about a uniqueness to the, that. I know the understanding that Creole is made up of a lot of different, yeah. I won't say subcultures, but a lot of different influences yeah. from, from the Native Americans to the French to the, you know, what, what, whatever. Uh, yeah. It's a it's kind of, it's a unique culture in and of itself, um, and I hadn't really ever thought about whether that specific culture uh, had any historic cultural tie to him. Uh, so what's interesting is, and again, I keep bringing up Brian Brian Bowler's name. So Brian has um, a a, uh, a business now, Oakish Mound Farms. Oakish is an Indian word for medicine. He's primarily, I think, Choctaw Indian, and he does bring a whole new perspective on it. So, um, again, I don't, you know, having a different cultural perspective doesn't mean you're going to grow get better crop. But he appreciates the growing process in a different way. And, and, and again, I think he's going to be one of the leaders in the state in terms of seed development. So, yes, I, do I think that kind of culture, Creole, Native American culture will have a huge impact? Yes. If Brian is an example of how that might work, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and I have worked with some of the some of the tribes up in up in the upper Great Plains and the Dakotas uh, and trying to help them uh, find a path forward. And they actually do grow um, and they would not fall under the same restrictions here in Kentucky. We have no we have no tribal land in Kentucky. I think we may be the only states in the country that has no tribal land in the state. Uh, so from that perspective, I, I have to look outside the state, but I know that the tribal nations, uh, are not held under the same restrictions as Louisiana, Kentucky, or Mississippi or wherever. So they, they, as a culture, as a, as an sovereign entity need to look at this as a economic boost. A hundred percent, hundred percent agree. This is an example where um, being in a, in a culture that's, you know, sort of um, sometimes on the outside of economic development in this space, it could be on the inside. They could have a lot of advantages. So, yeah, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. I, I agree with you on that. Well, um, I guess, uh, are there any other questions? Okay. Uh well, doctor, I guess we need a uh, email, website, phone number, all the contact information for you, for our members and for anyone else out there that may want to get in contact with you so they, they know how to connect. 
Okay, sounds good. Do I send that to you? And then you would just actually, if you just want to, I could do it right now. Rattle that off right now, and and then. All right, hang on. Uh, let me. Uh, let me pull yeah, up my, we can also make that available. You know. Uh, all right, I'll send. I'll send it to you. I sent you my number. I'll send you and well and and you have my email because we've already communicated. I think by email. Yeah. Right? So you have my email and you have uh, my telephone number. I would prefer uh, initial introductions if somebody's interested by email, and then we can further discuss on the phone. But okay. So um, please share it. Uh, I'll be happy. I mean, I'm a real proponent of this. I'm behind this. I think it's going to be a game changer for Louisiana in terms of her economy. And God help us because our economy is, is not that not that good uh, historically, uh, especially with oil and gas going the opposite way we want it to. So this could be a, a, a really huge boom. And, and, and don't expect it to turn overnight. And that, so patience is involved in this. Um, you know, cars weren't built overnight, but now they're sort of a mainstay. Flying cars, everybody's going, that's never going to happen. Yes, it will. Electric cars, yes, it will. And at some point, the, the price will come down and it'll be very, very common. Same thing here. I think initially going in, there's going to be hiccups and some barriers that we have to overcome in the hemp industry. But I think eventually it will be a game changer. I think it will play a major role in economic development, not just for our state, but, but surrounding states, Arkansas, Mississippi, Kentucky, et cetera. So be patient on this. Do, you, do your homework. Look into it. Don't expect an overnight change, but but be ready be ready when the train leaves the station. Yeah, just don't jump don't jump too early. You get in front of the train, you get yes, buy your perhaps buy your tickets in advance. Um, but be patient. I mean, and, and don't I know the farmers last any talked to were extremely disappointed and they gave up. Don't give up. Well, you know, I, historically, I look. You know, we got to wrap up. But historically, you, you mentioned it can be an economic boost to Kentucky, to Louisiana, to wherever. I looked at a at a graphic the other day. Uh, I love history. Uh, and prior to the war between the states, uh, the the top ten economies in the country were all in the South. Think about that. The, yeah. war, the war destroyed the Southern economy, and we've never really fully recovered in Kentucky. We say, thank God for Mississippi and Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> but we're all at the bottom. We're all at the bottom. In, in lots I think of Mississippi that. says, thank God for Louisiana. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, it, you know, we need to recapture the things like in Kentucky was the largest producer of hemp prior to the war. And, you know, and of course, all the other agriculture, but we we need to recapture that this can help all of them. So I think all of these southern states. Yes, especially good agreement on that. Yeah. And uh, and and but we can't make mistakes. We're going to make mistakes in general. Uh, people are about how, how to proceed in this. But uh, we learn from those. I think those are learning opportunities uh, for for people. So uh, well, you guys keep up the good work. Um, Absolutely. Appreciate your time today. And uh, uh, and we will make that uh, information available uh, to uh, to contact you, to our members and, and others. But, Doctor, we appreciate your time and hope you're not too wet down there with, with the hurricane. Uh, we're getting it right here, right now. We're starting to get that fallout from that here. <laughs> well, we're up in northern Louisiana, so we actually didn't even get any rain. So we're, we're very lucky this time. Well, that, you're lucky. Thanks for having me on this podcast and, and whatever I can do to help uh, with your listeners to uh, get them uh, on whatever path they want towards the hemp space, I'll be happy to do. All right. Appreciate that. Have a good day.
Thank you very much. Thank you. This podcast produced and distributed by MWB Studios.